T.Y. Hilton's sons, maybe, coming to Lucas Oil Stadium on Sunday, considering he is the daddy um, <laughs> of the Houston Texans. I don't know if that makes sense, but <laughs> what the hell, man. Uh, first snow of the year, so I'd just say whatever comes to mind. Kevin Bowen, Chris Presley, back. Another edition of Kevin's Corner. Wednesday, December 16th. Kudos to the NFL for pulling this off up to this point. Unbelievable job. There were skeptics out there. I was optimistic. And uh, thankfully, that has come to fruition. What's up, man? Not a lot. Like you said, first snowfall here in Indianapolis. We have some listeners across uh, the country and internationally as we speak about every week. So those of you in the Southern Hemisphere, uh, you know, props to you for having some some nice weather right now. Yeah, they asked Philip Rivers (laughs) about, uh, about that today, you know have you ever woken up to snow and i was like oh that's an interesting question he's like not intentionally you know Uh, yes on vacation sometimes you're you know skiing or doing whatever so um, dropping off rosie at daycare this morning boy you are reminded quickly how no one remembers how to drive in snow driving down here to the studio um a little bit better as the day went along but colts indoors for practice so this podcast coming a little bit earlier to you don't have the official injury report out yet Frank Reich mentioned Xavier Rhodes, Darius Leonard back to practice. Uh, I was a little bit surprised. I thought maybe they'd even get Wednesday off, but good news on that front. Again, you know, we, we talked to you on Monday about didn't think it was anything major, major by any means, but thought those guys might miss a day. Sounds like good news on Anthony Costanzo making it out of the game on Sunday. And then I've probably never seen Frank as excited as he was today talking about an injury then mentioning Rigoberto Sanchez back to practice. It's just uh, just an awesome, awesome story since the initial news. You know, yeah. when, when you heard the initial news, what, two weeks ago now, uh, which, again, is just crazy to say two weeks ago when he's back to practice of, you know, having to have surgery to remove that cancerous tumor. And now here he is with the chance to play on Sunday. So oh. unbelievable. Um, we'll see how that plays out. They still have Ryan Allen protected on the practice squad. They cannot call him up again. They have to, you know, permanently, um, you know, put him onto the 53-man roster if he wants to punt or if they decide that he needs to punt again. So we'll see how that plays out. But, um, yeah, Colts-Texans, here we are. Rematch in 14 days. Kind of crazy. It is. It's, it's always interesting to see how teams that quickly, you know, can game plan for one another really disappointing if you're a Texans fan the way that they played against the Bears Jesus yeah and as a Colts fan you're kind of like okay you know what are they giving up on the season people in the comment sections make a good point and and this is something that it doesn't fall on deaf ears with us you can never overlook a conference opponent well and you can never look overlook a a quarterback with the talent of Deshaun Watson right you know I I think the line is seven I believe Mm -hmm. last I saw um, I think most four and nine football teams, you'd probably bump that to ten, especially with if you look at like the injury situation and what has changed from the first meeting on December sixth to what it'll be Sunday. I mean, seemingly or December ninth, I think it was. Seemingly, um, it was a, a a totally different injury situation for the Colts then. No Costanzo, no Okariki, no Willis, and obviously the Texans, you know, in general have lost a lot of wideouts, but now they've lost two defenders. Since that first game, Justin Reed, their safety, who plays you know virtually every snap, did against the Colts a few weeks ago. He's on IR, and so is Brandon Dunn, one of their big guys in the middle of that defense as well. So, yeah, it's a um, it's a pretty depleted Texans team. You know, Watson still gives them mm-hmm. fleeting hope, but outside of him, man, and JJ Watt, I'm not sure if they got a lot of NFL talent 
you know, on that roster. Right. And you talk about Watson, and I saw him, I think, Pro Football Focus. They still have him ranked as third best overall in grades this year. Really? That's high. Yeah. I mean, I know he's been good. Um, but yeah, wow. That's um that that's high, high praise. Um yeah, I, I uh you know, selfishly I want entertainment, so I, I'd like to see, you know, this not be forty two to three. And um but I have a feeling this game could get to like some of the Minnesota jet, you know, games you had back in September right. of you know, the Colts have for the most part I don't think they've had multi score leads, you know, for more than about really a quarter or so. Uh, here in this current, you know, winning six of eight or however long it is, it's kind of been a back and forth to a degree or, you know, even an opposing team has had the lead. Uh, but I have a feeling if you get a couple score lead on this Texans team, it could look like what Chicago did to them last week. Right. And on the Colts side of things, you know, talking about the quarterback play, Kevin, last podcast was the first time we really t- touched on Rivers. Obviously, we've talked about the quarterback room and some plays that he's made this year, but you wrote a pretty interesting article on 1075thefan.com this week talking about the numbers, comparing last year to this year, and just diving a little bit more into the play that we've seen from Phillip Rivers at this point. Yeah, you know, we haven't really singled him out on a podcast in a while, and so I did want to mention that. And, you know, inevitably when you get to week 15 of the season, you start to think about a little bit of the future. Mm-hmm. And certainly at that position and given his age, you know, he turned 39 last week, all of that comes up, but... I thought he deserved, you know, a an, an article. You know, I talked about that kind of on, on Monday, my thought process coming out of games. And I knew he had been an, an upgrade. I knew he had been a significant upgrade. But when you really look at the numbers, Chris, it is um, it's pretty darn incredible how much of an upgrade he's been for this football team at the quarterback position. You know, Frank Reich was adamant. You know, mid-January, hell, early January last year, as soon as the season ended and he had that final presser, that the passing offense was an extreme disappointment. And that pissed off, as much as you can piss off a former preacher who I've never heard cuss in my life, he was fed up with it. And the efficiency and the chunk plays were the two areas that, that Frank really, really drove home. And basically the stats, and you guys have heard me talk about this before, it comes down to comp- completion percentage and yards per attempt. Yeah, you, you can look specifically at chunk plays, and, you know, there's 20-yard is, is kind of the cutoff for what is considered a chunk play in the pass game. And that tells you a lot. But I think yards per attempt is a little bit more indicative of your ability to just consistently create a decent amount of big plays. And... They are, completion percentage-wise, which to me is more of the efficiency, they are nine percentage points better than they were last year, 59 to like 68. Mm-hmm. That is massive. And then yards per attempt has jumped, I think, near nearly a full yard or maybe even over a yard. Just a little over a yard, yeah. yeah I, that's huge as well. You know, you're talking, again, you know, 40 passes a game or something like that. I mean, that's four first downs. Uh, obviously, from a completion percentage standpoint, you're you're keeping drives alive mm-hmm. at a much, much higher rate, things like that. So um, those stood out to me, Chris. But I would say the stat that maybe jumped out to me the most, and again, this is an article form. If you haven't seen it already on 107.5thefan.com, everybody's big worry with Rivers is, or was, I should say, back in the spring, 20 interceptions that he had last year with the Chargers. And he's a turnover machine. 
And in the fourth quarter, he's going to throw a bunch of picks and this and that. And that was a valid, you know, question, concern. And if you look at it this year, he's actually turning the ball over far less than Jacoby Brissett did or slash Ryan Hoyer did for a game last year. And honestly, that was like the great strength of the quarterback position last year that like kept you in games. It was, oh yeah, you're not turning the ball over. You know, you aren't you aren't giving your uh, giving your opponent short fields. The interception rate is the exact same as we sit here with three games to go between last year and this year, but it's the fumbles. Rivers has fumbled once yeah. and, and didn't give it away. And I think quarterbacks last year for the Colts fumbled like eleven or twelve times, or I don't know, maybe it was even more than that, and they lost about a half dozen of them. So that I think is what stands out to me, Chris, is efficiency, yes. Chunk plays, yes. We felt like that that couldn't not get better to insert my double negative. Like, how was that going to be any worse? But yet you're also protecting it right. a lot, lot better. And that's why this passing offense has just taken a huge jump. You know, I asked Frank on Monday what kind of stands out to you about Rivers specifically this season, and, and he used two words. It was accuracy and anticipation. And I obviously couldn't agree more with that. Anticipation is something I think we've talked about a whole lot. It's the mental processing. You know, Rivers' ability to count up defenders so quickly and know where they should be Mm -hmm. is a trait that you just can't teach. And he brings that to the table. Um, You know, Reich mentioned specifically the, the deep ball to Hilton. On Sunday, you know, he threw that ball pretty early. He knew pretty early where it was going. I, I can't tell you how often, Chris, I watch the All-22 after games and how many times Rivers throws guys open or throws it when these guys aren't even really looking. Mm-hmm. Like, timing and knowing that the ball has to go here and I've got to get it there. And I know that, you know, my arm isn't Jacob Eason's arm. And so I've got to do things maybe a tad bit early. And I just think it comes down to the whole chess match stuff that we that we talked about back in the spring of the Colts feel like this move will help them out chess match opposing teams. Yeah. And I think that's been the case. I think no crowd noise helps a little bit as well. Um, I think that's helped with the pass protection department and just making sure you're getting into the right play. So I think the Colts have benefited a little bit in that. Um, but, yeah, man, this, is, um, this has been a definite upgrade. And his memory is just, uh, it's wild. I, I mean, this might be stupid to some people, but I found it kind of fun today, or at least like, whoa. I asked him, you know, how many times in your career have you played a team this close back-to-back? You know, you, I mean, you never see You're right. you know, two games in, in three weeks against the same opponent. And he couldn't think of a time. And again, as he is, and like, you know, Obviously, Philip Rivers probably gets told by the Colts PR staff, like, "Hey, expect three, four these three or four topics, you know, to be asked." Blah blah blah. I, I don't think they were like sitting down and prepping for a half hour on. You might get asked about playing a team two times in three weeks. Let's answer that in a proper way. Like, no, like, who cares? Like, I mean, really, it's a pretty useless question by by me. I'll fully admit it. I, I wanted to ask him about you know playing after twenty twenty, and uh, it got asked earlier in the Zoom call, so I just kind of th- threw something together. But he had recall in his mind to say, I think the Jets did it with the Bengals. (laughs) And then I also think the Cardinals 
And I'm like, again, I don't, there's no way anyone else like really picked up on this that, that much, but I'm like, what the hell is he talking about? And so then I'm like, all right, I got to look this up now. Sure enough, 2009 season, Jets and Bengals play in week 17. They turn around and play in the first round of the wild card. Yep, I remember that. Now, the Chargers had the bye that season, and they played, I think, whoever won that game. I forget who won. Probably the Jets and Bengals don't win games because Marvin Lewis doesn't want a playoff game. <laughs> but um, I'm like, okay, I kind of get that. But then he also remembers this Cardinals game where they turned around, and I think it was Green Bay. They played Green Bay week seven. That's not even in your own conference. Like, how are you paying attention to that? Like, And basically, what I'm getting at is the guy has just got an insane memory, and it's not just a memory. He also is able to process stuff on the football field to where I firmly believe, and I've said this before, I don't think he's panicking when you see the awkward foot movement and the awkward kind of arm angles and just general throwing motion. I just think that's his physical limitations. Like, that's not just him being like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, I have no idea where to go with it. Uh, hot potato. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not necessarily that. So, um, yeah, he's just um, – he's an interesting breed, man. He is a very unique, unique football player. You know, I don't sit here and think he should be on any MVP ballot or anything, like, crazy like that, but um, he's just a different dude. And Jim Ursay mentioned it earlier in the week. I'll pub that. Ursay had by far his longest interview since February. We, we have that up on the website. You know, he was pretty adamant that um, he could see the Colts running the back. And he mentioned Rivers and Jacoby, mm-hmm. one and two. So that's, of course, stuff that we'll get into a little bit for those that want an Andrew Luck update from Ursay. There was a couple of uh, <laughs> quotes in there. We won't we won't go um, any longer on that. I, I, I will encourage people to check it out, though, because – you know, he almost sounds like me trying to explain to my mom and dad why my report card wasn't better, you know, <laughs> talking about Andrew Luck and whatnot. So, um, you know, Ursay signed off on this, on this R- Rivers decision. I always yeah. think that's something to keep in mind at quarterback. You know, Ursay's going to have some, some say in this, but my expectations right now, um, Philip Rivers certainly talks like a guy and says that he wants to play another year. And unless something crazy happens, man, I I think this gets run back, and Philip Rivers is probably your starting quarterback week one, 2021. Yeah, that's interesting. It's one thing to remember back. I thought you were going to say he was going to pick something out from, like, his third year in the league, let alone teams he didn't even play for. Which, again, like, that stuff would be pretty wild. Like, even memory, your ability to remember a play in week three of Mm -hmm. 20, you know, 2007, like, okay, that's crazy, but, you know – People are weird like that. I mean, I can still recall every golf shot I hit in the 2008 state finals, and it's like, what? why is that in my brain? Why? <laughs> yeah. Like, get that out of there. Um, but, yeah, I just – I think his intellect is brilliant from a football mind. And Frank mentioned that, you know, when, when he was signed. Like, you know, Frank's like, I've been around the league a long time. He's top ten smartest football players that I've that I've ever been around. So, I think that 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 helps a, a whole lot, and, and again, that that article is um, is up on the website. Perfect. Well, should we jump into Twitter questions, Kevin? Yes. Yep. 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 Hey, Kevin. I saw that Reich said that Leonard's injury wasn't serious, but he was wondering if he was banged up before the game on Sunday. He didn't seem to be himself out there. No energy like he normally has, and was slow to get up after making some tackles. Just hoping nothing will be nagging at him going into the playoffs. As always, thanks for the podcast. And thank you for listening, Curtis. Um, 
you going back and watching the game now a couple times, I don't think I've ever seen Darius Leonard less hype in a football game. You know, I, yeah. and I, I don't, I mean, we're talking like, he's crazy. <laughs> you know, he is uh, he's a hyped individual, and I mean, just, yeah, slow to get up, just a bit lethargic is probably the word that I would use. I mean, compared to normal, like we're used to full-on maniac, yeah. and he looked, you know, just, just calm uh, for the most part after those plays. So, was never on the injury report, Curtis. Um, I don't know if he got banged up early in that game, but like I said, we haven't seen the official injury report for Wednesday, but Frank Reich indicated not a big deal. You know, backs can always be tricky, so we'll see how it plays out. Um, but, you know, having Bobby Okariki back from the first matchup with right. Houston is obviously huge considering, you know, Watson's ability. I thought Anthony Walker had some rough moments in that in that first meeting. Yeah, you're right. There were some tackles where I noticed people would roll off and he kind of just laid there on his back a little bit longer yeah, than normal. No, no, yeah, it was, it was just so unmaniac-like. Yeah. All right, this one's from Daner. says, great win on Sunday. With the way Phil has come around in the second half of the season, has the off-season draft priority switched yet again? Not to nitpick, but with the speed edge rush still yet to perform and with the force getting doubled, it could get worse. Daner, uh, very fair question, but let me make this abundantly clear. The success Philip Rivers has or doesn't should have zero bearing, zero bearing on when you draft the next quarterback. None. None. Like that position means way too much. And when you find the guy and you feel like you have the ability to go get the guy, you go freaking do it. I mean, point blank. I mean, look at the Packers last year. Right? Yeah. <laughs> they don't care about Aaron Rodgers in the short. No, no, no. If we think Jordan Love is the guy, boom, we're going to take Jordan Love, even though. It's this crazy wide-out draft class and all this. Obviously, you know, you can point to the Chiefs. You know, they were a pretty good team before Patrick Mahomes got there and still felt the need to go make that move. I mean, look at New England. You know, Jimmy G taken, what, early second round, I think it was, mm-hmm. when Brady was still very much in those prime years as well. So, um, no, I, I, I just – and, again, it is a totally fair question, but – I just think that it's so difficult to find that person when you do think you have them. You got to go do it. You got to, and it's going to cost a lot, and it's going to look long term, and it's going to look weird, and it's not going to. It's going to piss some fans off. It's going to piss some people off in your locker room, maybe. But you do it. Mm-hmm. That, that that's how you got to. That's how you have to run an NFL franchise. Now, having said that, edge rusher is still very much a need. Right. Like, I am not saying that at all. And unfortunately, it's one of the few positions you can point to to where Chris Ballard has not evaluated slash draft turned into production in the NFL. From Basham to Ture to Banagoo, it just hasn't been there for him. Yeah. Mac also thought this Sunday's win was a fantastic one, and his question is going to the playoffs. Right now we're slated as the sixth seed and would play the Buffalo Bills at number three. How do you think we would match up with them considering they just beat the Steelers at their place? says we're not the best cold weather team out there and I'd be very nervous to play them. Yeah, uh yeah, cold weather. Um interesting. I also feel like this team I I don't know. I I know rivers and cold weather is kind of something that I, I don't know, a little bit of concerning, but you know, if you're starting to run the ball like you're running it, man, I mean, in your defense, I know it's built for kind of indoor turf, but I mean, they've been great against the run all year, mm-hmm. so I I don't know. Um, I don't think there's no fans at Bills games. At least there's I don't, not. Yeah, I was gonna say. Um, 
I like the Bills. You know, I think I've mentioned that before. I think Brian Dable's a, a tremendous offensive mind. I think the Texans should look long, long and hard at him. I think the Bills have a lot of impact at every level. You know, maybe they're not just Mahomes, Tyreek Hill-like, but I think they're pretty balanced right. on both sides of the ball. Stephon Diggs a really good player. I mean, Tredavious White against T.Y. Hilton would be a great, great matchup. Um, so, yeah, sounds like they're going to get John Brown back here soon. But at the same time, I look at the standings and I'm like, man, could the Bills go up to two and Pittsburgh keep falling? Yeah. You know, that's that's kind of a fair thing. And, I, I mean, I wouldn't have said this a couple of weeks ago, Chris, but, like, would you rather play the Steelers or the Bills right now in the playoffs? I would rather play the Steelers. Okay. Yeah, and, and, like, I, I probably agree with you. Now, part of me is like, you know, I don't know, playoff success, and I know Big Ben is still 30-whatever-year-old Big Ben and hasn't looked great this season, but um, I, I I probably agree with you there. I have a college roommate from Buffalo, and actually during the podcast while we were taping on Monday, he texted me and said, hey, we might play each other this year in the playoffs. And I texted him back, and I said, I don't want to see you in the playoffs. <laughs> and he jokingly was like, I've never had anyone ever text me that before. <laughs> I thought I saw somewhere where they could win the division this weekend, and that'd be the first time I thought ever. But those, but those teams with Jim Kelly had to have won the division at some point. Are they talking about since the crossover of the division? Because maybe that back was then, it. Maybe yeah. Maybe since it was like 2000, every team in the league has won the division. Right. I, you know, at least once or something like that. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, that is that is that is a good point. Yeah, it's been quite a while up in Orchard Park. And I sure. and I will say this. I mean, for those of you that I don't know why you have, would have gone to a Bills uh, home game, but it is an awesome atmosphere. You have? I have. The the opener a couple years ago. Oh. 2015? Yeah. Oh, boy. It wasn't a great game. No, that was ugly. I, I, I love it. I love the stadium. I love the atmosphere. I love the college feel that I get going to that stadium. And, boy, yeah, sexy Rexy. Yeah, and we'll get to a question later from Brennan in this podcast who's from Toronto. But a lot of the Colts fans that I did meet that week were from Toronto. And I asked, mm-hmm. how did you become a Colts fan in Toronto? And they said, we typically get, like, the biggest game of the week, and Peyton Manning was always one of the bigger games, mm-hmm. so we just became Colts fans. That makes sense. And then you wonder, too, AFC East when the Colts were right. in the AFC East, if that influenced anything as well. All right, this one's from Robbie. He says, I wonder your thoughts on who we are as a team. They say you are who your record is, but I struggle with our identity. So hot at times and so cold at times. Keep up the great work over there. Hope you and the family and team are well. Thanks, Robbie. Same to you and uh, everyone out there listening during this holiday season. You know, when I hear, like, what is a team's identity, part of me is kind of like the hot and cold nature is life in the NFL. Yeah. You know, this league, more than any other league, is the most, I think, even professional sports league. Um, so, yeah, I mean, in 2018, you felt like your identity was a great rushing attack that, you know, was trying to make up for maybe a porous defense. Um, I would say your identity right now, Chris, like, and again, when I hear identity, I kind of think of the most consistent aspects to your football mm-hmm. team. Outstanding pass protection. And a playmaking defense. Yeah. I mean, yardage-wise, this defense is starting to give up. I think they're 13th in yards per play. So it's it's kind of getting to, like, that middle, you know, tier-ish. You know, a little bit above middle tier. But it's those turnovers, man. And, like... Again, when I thought this defense would be like 10 to 12 at the start of the year, the yardage is about what I thought it would be. But I never guessed they would be third in the league in takeaways. Right. I mean, th- and that is what is 
separating them or you know putting them in this position to where when the offense maybe hasn't finished drives off as well as you would like for them to, the defense has either made points or simply taken points off the board. So, yeah, I would say identity-wise right now, I mean, holy shnikes, that it has been a playmaking defense. Yeah. It has been a turnover machine on that side of the ball. And then offensively, um, it's great pass protection and like maybe new identities are being created with, a run game starting to trend upwards. Yeah. So T.Y. Hilton starting to look like a pro bowler. But I can't say that's like identity identity because the other thing that I just think is it's great for your record, but it's not great for your evaluation is, and this is mainly with the Colts offense. The Colts offense has played a very weak defensive schedule. Like the schedule I think right now ranks like, I don't know, 27th in the league or something like that, 28th in the league. The defense is even worse than that. Like opposing defenses, right. who they've played. I think it's one top 12 defense all year long, which is just kind of crazy when you think there's 16 games on a schedule. Right. How do you not fall yeah. into three or four of those teams ranking up there? Um, so I think that's difficult to, again, evaluate just this offense. And Kevin, there's pros and cons to every stat or every analytic you look at, but not just the takeaways on the defense. Look at the to- the timeliness of those Great takeaways. Great point. Great point. Um, yeah, I mean, huge. <laughs> we talked. To, we can't talk about the Kenny Moore pick enough. Um, yeah, I was talking to somebody today, and like, he he was mentioning to me like, without Kenny Moore the last two weeks, you might be a seven and six football team. Mm-hmm. The pick he had against Brandon Cooks, the plays he made at the end of the first half against Houston. Right. I mean, a couple pass deflections in the end zone. They got to settle for three there, I and mean, that's a <laughs> that's the difference in them. You know, just kneeling the ball out there at the end and kicking a field goal versus, you know, you escaping with the, as Jim Ursay said, Diego Maradona, the hand of God. <laughs> yeah, you got to love Ursay there. But, yeah, it's, yes, timeliness for sure. No, that, that's such a good point. All right, Andrew and Craig both want to talk about the quarterback room. They want to know how much do you think keeping continuity at the quarterback spot will influence whether or not Phil is resigned? There have been three different quarterbacks in three years. Don't really love the idea of having four and four. Yeah, Craig, it's a, it's an interesting question. I, my initial thought is not too much. Um, but because – I think you have to look at it like like this. If you're going to move on from Phillip Rivers and like trade for Carson Wentz or you're going to commit to a rookie quarterback starting from day one, mm-hmm. which, again, you would have to do that a month and a half after free agency is over, which the draft is so right. un- unpredictable. You are also committing to that guy being your guy for five, ten years. Like So you are saying yes four different quarterbacks in four years, but hopefully four different quarterbacks in 14 years with this new, you know, and and Wentz would fall into that category. I mean, he would be your guy for seemingly five to 10 years if if everything goes the same way. So it's, you know, it's funny. Um, You know, people ask me all the time, you know, okay, who who do you think the Colts are interested in draft wise? I'll, I'll try to get more into that. In the in the off season, but if the Colts are doing their job right, I will know nothing, and we will know nothing. Just like no one believed the Chiefs would trade up, or mm-hmm. even the Texans would, right. would trade up and take Watson. I I feel like there is some legit homework and interest being done on guys like Justin Fields and Trey Lance specifically. I think there are other guys certainly that might be more in their range 
without having to give up a whole lot that they would also be doing homework on and, and are doing homework on. But yeah, I'm not, uh, you know, part of, part of me watching that game a couple of weeks ago, I'm watching Ed Dodds, you know, Frank Wright or uh, Chris Bowers, right hand man. He's on the sidelines during games. I'm like, man, you watch Sean Watson up, up close on the uh-huh. sideline. <laughs> That's got to influence some decision making. Sure does down the road in hell. If if you know he had interest from the Texans from a GM standpoint, you would think that would interest him. But I also think with 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 Frank and the Wentz thing, you know, think back to Frank and the quarterback situation this March. It was either Rivers or it was Foles. Mm-hmm. Two familiar guys that he feels like he could resurrect, fix, whatever you want to call it. Frank thinks he can fix a lot. You know, Jacoby, top 20 quarterback. Like, he, he rightfully so, I think, believes a lot in himself. Now, the Jacoby thing didn't necessarily work out. Obviously, yeah. Rivers are working out. But, you know, he's he, he's like the girl in high school. It's like, oh, the bad boy that's been <laughs> suspended three times and, you know, does this and does that. Oh, I can fix him. Mm-hmm. He can be the long term. You know, he, he can be, you know, I, I can take on his last name at some point. Um, Frank's got a little bit in, the, in a polar opposite way. You know, I, I can never see Frank Reich ever being a bad boy. But um, Frank's got a little bit of that of I like who I like and I believe – He's very, I mean, he really believes in people, which is dangerous to a degree, but it's also um, strong conviction to where so much of his philosophy comes from. So uh, I, I think that plays into the Wentz thing as well. That's the pastor in him, Kevin. He sees the good in everybody. Yeah, that, no, that's a, that is a great point. Kevin, Stephen wants to know about Jacoby Brissett, uh, just getting back to the quarterback play, and the Colts running the ball 100% of the times when he's on the field, he feels like it's too predictable. Will we eventually see any play-action plays from Brissett? Yeah, I think we will. I'm a little bit surprised we haven't seen more of a pass wrinkle to it. Um, Bursett pass run check, I think, is something you got to think about. Mm-hmm. You know, have, have there been times where it's straight up pass play, or you know, does he have options at the line? I I choose to think he does. You know, a couple things I want to see down the stretch here, Chris. That I think is a wrinkle to throw in the short yardage, and this is something that it, it, it's hard to really script it. But I think it'd be very beneficial for Hot Rod to make a field goal past 45 yards. Yeah. Like, what happens when you have fourth and eight at the 32 yard line in a meaningful game? Like, people are so like, well, the Colts, you know, go for a fourth down. They really don't go for it unless it's short, short yardage. Like, it's not just like, uh, yeah, I, you know, I don't have a punter. I, I'm just going for it religiously. Right. Like, it's not that extensive. So I feel like that is just kind of another. Again, it's not like you're 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 going to force that field goal, but I think it'd be beneficial. Uh, he's only had one attempt past yeah. forty four, and that was the 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 chunk that he had. So, I think that's something that would be good for his, um, you know, his confidence, his psyche, maybe Frank Reich's psyche as well going into the playoffs. These questions are from John and Logan. Hey, Kevin, with the game from Taylor, do you see Max likelihood of coming back dwindling? Also, I know we want a backup left tackle. But I do feel a dominant edge rusher passes pushes. Pardon me. This team's ceiling higher. What are your thoughts? Um. Okay, let's 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 start with the first one here. You said John and Logan. Mm-hmm. Um. No, I I I don't think Max' likelihood of coming back is dwindling because of Jonathan Taylor. Multiple backs, 
you know, is such a huge emphasis of Frank Reich. Um, and I think you want to keep Hines kind of in that specific role. So, and yeah. you aren't breaking the bank either with, with Marlon Mack. You know, the, this is a good question. Dominant edge rusher or a backup left tackle, which pushes the ceiling higher? I mean, obviously, the pass rusher pushes the ceiling higher if everyone's healthy and if Anthony Costanzo is not retired. Right. As soon as that happens, Braden Smith goes down, Anthony Costanzo goes down, all of a sudden, having a capable left tackle or right tackle can push your ceiling extremely high compared to what it would be, you know, yeah. without that guy. Like, I mean, think about it. The Colts have literally benched, they benched Raven Clark and Chaz Green very quickly in games this season. Like, that's, I'm like, wow, that's a lot of confidence in your backup tackle depth. Yeah. How quickly those guys got got benched, and obviously the whole Nelson at left tackle, of the future. You know, we can we can get into that a little bit later, but um, yeah, I, I don't disagree. Of on a level playing field, if everyone's healthy, certainly the edge rusher gives you a higher ceiling, but you're also just kind of one one injury away from here. You go at yep. tackle and musical chairs and Quentin Nelson time. Yeah, so let's stay there at left tackle with this question from Brian. He says, the few plays Costanzo went out with the injury and they moved Nelson to guard, how come it was Joey Hunt over Pinter at left guard? Yeah, it's a good question, Brian. Um, I don't know this specifically, but I'll, I'll tell you, I guess, what a little bit that I know. I can't recall Danny Pinter, and shout out to Ball State, big one Friday night yep. for the Chirp Chirpers. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are in Detroit. They are trying to win their first MAC title since forever or a long time. I think it's been. I'd have to look. It's been a while. Yeah. I know da- the Nate Davis team did not say. did not capitalize there. Right. I remember the Nate Davis teams winning in Bloomington, but not necessarily in Detroit. So, uh, good luck to um, the Cardinals, the Fighting Colleen Bowens, the the pride of Muncie. <laughs> Um, with that, okay, Danny Pinter, the Ball State product. I can't recall him ever. I shouldn't say ever, but being at left ha- left guard very often during camp. Right guard and center, yes, but much much more at those two spots than left guard. I don't know if that plays into it. I don't know if this is kind of a weak thing where it's like, all right, Ryan Kelly's still a little banged up. You know, Danny takes some snaps at center, takes some snaps at mm-hmm. you know right guard and. In an emergency, you know, that was a break-the-case sort of situation. Like, that was a – three things had – or two things had to happen for Nelson to get moved over there. Chaz Green – or, Costanzo had to get hurt. Mm-hmm. Chaz Green had to suck. Like, I mean, you know, the, those are two significant things that had to have happened for you to go there. And I, I, I kind of like Joey Hunt, you know, hair flying around. and Yeah. Now, I do think, Hunt, you've used up practice squad call-ups on him. So – just seeing how this O-line depth plays out will be uh, will be interesting. Yuri says that Doyle rules and wants to talk some tight ends. With Jack being back from the injury, we've seen more doubles and triple tight end sets. How crucial has this been to the success in the play calling and the run game recently? Um, yeah, uh, boy, did you see the Jack Doyle beard? Every year. I mean, I kind of look like him. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. Um, he's, I mean, he, his is bushier than mine. Yeah, I was gonna say. I mean, and yours is thick right now, but his is boy thick. I mean, we're talking. I'm sure, his wife loves it. Yeah, I, I can imagine that Steelers defensive lineman. What's his name? Brett was it Brett Kern? Um, or no, 
You know who I'm talking about. I do about. know who you're talking about. He's like a, a big hunter and outdoorsman. Yeah, yeah, I mean, he had a beard down to his freaking sternum. Uh, yeah, I, I'd say tight end, ha, you know, the, the multiple tight end sets have helped. I, I don't know if it's, like, incredibly helped, but I think it helps you kind of manage personnel. It kind of dictates a little bit more of um, your ability to keep certain personnel groupings on the field for a defense. Um, yeah, we really haven't seen the tight end group explode in the past game. Uh, Burton's been pretty quiet as of late. Um, so, yeah. All right, Kev, we are going to head north of the border, like I said, to our friend in Toronto, Brennan, oh, nice. who will kick things off in regards to questions kind of looking f- into the future of the Colts. He says, given the lack of constant pass rush this season, would you prioritize an edge rusher or future left tackle in the upcoming draft slash free agency if you were Chris Ballard? Uh, you know, can I say both? <laughs> you know, uh, Sure. It's it, it's interesting. If you think Nelson can be there permanently, maybe it is edge rusher. Which the guys is so crazy to think that we're talking about Quentin Nelson as you know potentially right. the guy at left tackle. Um, you know, I was looking up a little bit more of like Nelson's draft profile, and you know, his arm length is kind of like fifty percent for O line men. Casanzo's like upper seventies. Yeah, Braden Smith has super super short arms, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, to think that he's been so successful there at tackle, but obviously that's a big thing. Um, a big thing that you know people used to evaluate offensive linemen. Um, you know, I, <laughs> you know, because we're this is twenty twenty in the media cycle. Mrs. Nelson, Quentin's mother, retweeted my my tweet earlier today about Quentin looking good at left tackle. Wow. So you know, infer that what you will, run with that <laughs> what you will. Um, uh, but yeah, in all in all seriousness, I think that is something that all of a sudden is kind of on the radar a little bit now. You know, I want to see Nelson a lot longer at that spot. Well, you don't want to see him a lot longer at that spot because that means that means Casanzo's hurt. But you do selfishly from evaluation standpoint there. Um, Gosh, what would I pro- prioritize? I probably do edge rusher, but man, I I think I'm a lot closer to having left tackle right there than most people are. Mm-hmm. I think most people saw Nelson on Sunday, and they're like, "That is the future at left tackle." And which, okay, it might work out, but then it's like, do you start getting a little bit nitpicky where it's like, now you're Hall of Fame guard. What if he's just like a I don't know a top ten offensive tackle? Yeah. And now the left guard that comes in there is Danny Pinter, and he's just an average guard. And so how does that hurt your offensive line? Like, I think Nelson as a puller is so effective at left guard. Does a tackle pull as much, um, you know, in the run game? You know, just just things like that. So, um, but, you know, when you talk about edge rusher, man, it's just that that Kamoko Ture projection is so difficult. You know, something that we're going to do a Pacers pod here later in the week, and I'm sorry it's taking so long, but um, we will get that out as a season preview. And we'll, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about Goga Batadze and just, mm-hmm. like, his development is so key to the, making future decisions for the franchise, mainly Turner Sabonis. Right. Kamoko Turi's development is so critical to making future decisions, and it's why Justin Houston coming back looks a whole lot likelier because you just haven't seen enough. Yeah. And, and and you know, Ture and how he looks could impact the draft. And, and, you know, now you're looking at, like, oh, my gosh, the whole Montez Sweat trade, uh, you know, trading that pick. And he continues to produce at a really high level. So, Brandon, it's it's a great, uh, great question. And, 
Yeah, kudos to you for listening from Toronto. Kevin, Stephen wants to know, what are the odds the Colts win the division, and how important is it for us to have the first-place pl- first spot? says, I think if we're first in the division, we'll have a real shot at making a Super Bowl run. Do you think we can possibly win out and the Titans drop their game in two weeks to the Packers? Appreciate all you do. Keep up the good work. Thanks, Stephen. Um, what our, our guy Drew said, plus 135 on well, Monday? Yes, correct. To win the division? I think first place is key. You know, I know road teams are having great success this season in the NFL, comparatively speaking, and obviously uh, the lack of fans, I think, plays into that. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, when you get in that 4-5 matchup, that means you're going to get the Chiefs in all likelihood off the bye. So, um, I guess for those getting super greedy, you know, do you think about, boy, is a six seed better off? Like, then you would Buffalo-Pittsburgh would probably be the route uh, before you got to Kansas City. That's something to keep in mind. Um, you know, I, I could see – I would probably rather have the Colts schedule – or uh, yeah, I think I'd rather have the Colts schedule right now than the Titans schedule. Some people might might disagree with that because Watson, you know, flash in the pan could do something crazy. But I'd rather play Pittsburgh than play Green Bay, who's still going for a bye. Correct. And then I'm one overall seed in the NFC. And uh, Stafford looks like he's hurt. So um, – True. Who knows if he plays or not. We'll see how that plays out. But, yeah, I'd put it at – you know, I probably put it at I don't know forty percent, thirty five percent. The Colts win the division just because I think Tennessee could very well go two and one, and you know I don't know. It's just it's hard for me to commit to a Colts win in mm-hmm. in Pittsburgh. And like the Colts, literally, they just have no margin for error. I mean, the tiebreakers, and even when you get deeper into the tiebreakers, I don't think it's I don't think it's going to look like if these two teams are lined up record-wise at the end of the year, I can't see the Colts winning a, a tiebreaker. It just doesn't look very favorable uh, in those situations. But, yeah, having said that, 35-40%. Good for you, Kevin. That's pretty spot on because I believe as of yesterday, the Colts are 40% ch- They have a 40% chance to win the division. Oh, really? Oh, yep. gosh. Wow. There you go. I'll take it. You know what you're doing, man. <laughs> All right, from Brooks and Sterling, one, do you think Julian Blackman is still Defensive Player of the Year? He's kind of been quiet the last two weeks. Two, do you think Pittman can be the future number one wideout considering he still hasn't shown much down the field, or does that just have to do with the system that we run? Yeah, to the first one, it's probably going to be Chase Young. You know, I feel like he started to you know produce at a higher level, and again, with those awards, uh, preseason hype, a.k.a. look at the college football rankings, have mm-hmm. a whole lot to do with who wins them. And, and Jeremy Chin, the guy that I mentioned a couple weeks ago, the Fisher's product, yep. you know, he's produced really well. And you know Blackman... Recency bias is so key. It's why, and I tweeted this out this morning when Kenny Moore won AFC Defensive Player of the Week. Great, and he probably needs it to help out his Pro Bowl and All-Pro candidacy, but that doesn't mean, like, it it sucks that it takes that to really put you on the radar of people. Blackman had that in November. He needs another one really quickly, I think, to kind of get on that list. You know, the whole Pittman thing, I mean, Chris, correct me if I'm wrong, but I can't recall one like true vertical shot to Pittman or one true like 50-50 that guy 6'4 220 he'll just kind of pluck it right over the DB and haul that in for a catch target. I have I don't either when I think you know? Pittman this year just going through the quick Rolodex in my brain um I think crossing routes and right. sweep runs. Yeah, I mean that's that's been the primary. Certainly, that's primarily been um, what he and false starts has done. Yeah, <laughs> in 
in those as well. And kind of just like settling in the zones a little yeah. bit. Um, I think they've thrown a couple slants to him. He, I mean, hell, he could have had a touchdown on that ball that got batted down, it looked like, early on in that game. But um, I still think he can get there. But, yeah, I mean, those are a couple route tree items that I'd like to see develop. And I'm, I say that in full realization this is his rookie season and you never know like we said in the last podcast we're slowly starting to see wrinkle after wrinkle so obviously those plays are in the playbook we just haven't seen them yet right right all right from jordy someone asked a good question about nelson becoming the left tackle after costanzo retires however what about the immediate future let's say god forbid costanzo tears his acl next week are you writing chaz green just stop cancel christmas (laughs) or will nelson finish at left tackle with pinter or hunt at guard Boy, um, I think it's got to be Nelson, right? Yeah, yeah, I think it's got to be Nelson. Um, you know, he got—I've gone back and watched that series. He got beat kind of on the first snap, but I thought that that duo handled stunts well. And you know, unfortunately, the Raiders again aren't a great evaluation from their defensive line group. Um, you would like to see Nelson a little bit more, like truly in space, just because that is something that you know is a lot different pass protecting at left guard than it is left left tackle, but. You know, Chris, I think it's a fascinating – this is such a fascinating storyline to to debate because, you know, Nelson is going to get, in all likelihood, probably the highest contract in NFL history for an offensive lineman, I would, I would assume, even yeah. though he plays guard. So if that money is in a left tackle, okay, that makes a little more sense. Now, you know, the other bird on the on the other shoulder will say, well, interior pressure means so much – you know, in today's NFL, you see these three techniques. You see the DeForest Buckners of the world. You need to be stout at guard as well. And, you know, certainly I can hear that as well. Um, but, I mean, in a perfect world, maybe not the most perfect world, but the most realistic perfect world, Costanza retires after 2021. Yes. Nelson slides over. He's, paying, he's being paid this absurd amount of money now, but he is your left tackle of the future. And then Pinter, who on the surface doesn't have an obvious starting job. Like, they feel like center is maybe his best spot, but Ryan Kelly's going nowhere. Right. And Glowinski, I think, is signed for two more seasons. So I get, well, I guess Glow, his contract might be up, but whatever. Right. You re sign him at the age of 31 or 32, or you go find another guard, something like that. Now all of a sudden, you've got, you know, Nelson, Pinter, Kelly. Klawinski or some other right guard, mm-hmm. and Braden Smith a right tackle. Like, okay, that is makes a lot of sense. And also, you are not exhausting really any significant resource to change up your O-line. You're just moving over that insane contract yeah. to left tackle. Now, fully knowing, well, you still need to find a backup, backup tackle, period. Um, so it, it, it's a thought. I would... Um, it's not something I push all my chips in on. I would still want to again evaluate Nelson more at tackle slash if the right opportunity presented itself in the draft, I wouldn't say no to a tackle because again, if you can get you know Jedrick Wills at left tackle and boom, there's your guy, yeah, you know, on a rookie contract playing a very important position and giving you good football, and I still have got the Hall of Famer guard. Eh, sign me up. Totally agree. All right, 1924, with consistent injuries to Leonard and Okariki, says, I feel like the Colts have to either re-sign Walker or draft another linebacker this offseason. Am I being paranoid, or is there some validity to this? 
Um, let me. Sorry, someone from the Colts just texted me. I want to make sure that I I I reply to this. Um, All good. All right, what's the um, what Okariki and Leonard with their injuries? Do we have to re-sign Walker, or do we need to go pick someone up? Yeah, at linebacker. This you know, I, another thing. It's you know, I look at EJ Speed, and it's kind of the case study of like how many. I, I can't recall him playing one snap on defense this year. Yeah, maybe he has, but I can't remember it. And you know, he played a little bit, I think, against the Raiders his rookie year, but uh, that was it. So. I, you know, if you can project him to a bigger role, then, you know, you don't necessarily need Walker. I would probably rather have Walker. Um, now, Chris Bauer, I think, has done a really good job identifying the traits they need in a linebacker, and they've drafted all of those linebackers. So, you know, can you let Walker walk and then draft the next Anthony Walker in the fifth round? Sure. That makes a whole lot of sense to me as well. So I, I am probably a little bit more pro resign Walker. Um, but I fully understand reasons why you wouldn't slash, you know, you can upgrade potentially on a on a cheaper contract. I like the cerebral nature that he that he brings to that position. Mm-hmm. And you know, we have seen Leonard and Okariki at times, you know, miss some games. So I think that is something that that you, that you have to keep in mind. Kevin White feels like the coach, Colts coaching staff seems to have done an admirable admirable job of developing the draftees and young players in general, and are reaping the benefits on the field. Seeing Pittman, Taylor, Blackman, Rogers, Pinter. And Glasgow all showing improvements to their games is a testament to the quote teachers unquote on the staff. Taylor and Blackman are particularly shining stars. Is it not a fair conclusion then to expect that Jacob Eason could be quietly improving at the at a similar pace, but without the benefit of playing behind two veteran and pricey quarterbacks? I think you see where I'm going with this. Yeah, Wyatt, I do, and and I think it's a understandable question. But I just think quarterback is a totally different animal, Chris. I, I, I don't think you can say you've developed, you know, offensive linemen well. You've developed, you know, a, a young safety well, the linebackers well. That means you're going to develop a quarterback well. <laughs> We've seen teams totally get the quarterback position right mm-hmm. and not get anything else right, a la Houston. You've seen teams get a whole lot of stuff right elsewhere, Chicago, but never get the quarterback right. Like, so I, I just think it's a totally different animal, and, and you guys know full well. You know, Eason needs reps. Well, I've talked about that endlessly. Um, this is not a, you know, Jacob Eason did not walk in the NFL with, you know, Jake Fromm starting experience or Ian Book starting experience. I mean, he really did not start that long in his collegiate career. So I can't go there, Wyatt, of just, you know, you, you've drafted well and you've gotten early impact from a lot of positions quarterback totally different this one is from trep if the colts are able to keep trending in an uphill manner as the offense keeps getting better and the defense playing full games do you think that they would be a team to look out for during the playoffs trep is from hawaii and every time you ask for questions he says he's asleep <laughs> love the pod been loving your content since the days you worked with the colts i love that trep thank you um i mean yeah i mean if you if you keep trending like this i mean what, what, something I like about T.Y. Hilton right now, Chris, is the variety and the catches that he's making. Uh-huh. This is not just, again, four for 85 yards, he hit on two deep balls. No, this is a, a you know very different route tree. Um, you know, Jonathan Taylor, like I said earlier, he looks a little bit like Marlon Mack at the end of 2018. Now, as I said earlier in the week, I'm worried about the pass rush. 
And like, if you lose now, one thing to keep in mind: if you lose a defensive playmaking, can you counter that with maybe just capping a few more of these drives? You know, that can kind of okay. Can you make up for some of the scoring there? Uh, but as I said earlier, we have to acknowledge it. This is one of the easier schedules in the NFL, particularly of who your offense has played. And you know, it's not. They aren't awful, awful numbers. They're not. But Phillip Rivers has been a pretty average quarterback in the playoffs. Is that real? Is yeah. that something that gets thrown out the window a bit without the atmospheres like you're going to have in these playoff venues here in 2021, I guess? Um, those are all things I think to keep in mind. All right, Blopa wants to know, if we reach the AFC playoffs, Indy would indicate being close. This is the dilemma going in the first round of the draft by a dominant pass rusher, the missing piece, to win now or go for the quarterback of the future? You know, this is kind of similar to, and thank you, Blopa, for the question. This is kind of similar to what, this is our guy from uh, Costa Rica, I believe, mm-hmm. um, chiming in here. Um, it, this is kind of similar to what I was talking about earlier about uh, about the Packers, you know, reference of how they decided to go about things in the 2020 draft. I also think, Chris, there's a fine line in, you know, when you keep going Band-Aid, do you then lose some of the prime core that you currently have? Buckner in his prime, Leonard in his prime, Nelson, Smith, you know, I know I'm missing guys, Kenny Moore. Um, you know, if you go Band-Aid for, I don't know, the next handful of years, and you're trying to get by, trying to get by, now all of a sudden that group is – you know, at the age of 30, mm-hmm. and you draft the rookie quarterback, and maybe they don't have the same sort of foundation to kind of grow with. I still think a young QB can grow with this current core that I think is very foundationally sturdy for the Colts. And we have seen, again, I mean, Wilson, a Super Bowl on a rookie contract, Mahomes, um, you know, Wentz and Goff, you know, pretty much got their teams you know, mm-hmm. to those Super Bowls. Obviously, Foles took over for Wentz, but that team was damn good before Foles got in there. So those come to mind of just making sure that, you know, there's there's still a lot of a lot of support there. So I don't think – and I, I don't know, I can't see Chris Ballard just having this huge win now, you know, focus. I think if the quarterback is there, he would make that move. All right, Kevin, we're going to go from the beauty of Costa Rica up to the evil empire that is New England. (laughs) Always gloomy up there. Yes, this is from Gregory, who is a Colts fan and has loved watching the Patriots fans panic all year long. (laughs) Wants to know, what's up with Campbell? Anything official? Is he done for the year? Happy holidays to you and the family. Yeah, same to you, Gregory. Um, Again, I have been told that he is very, very unlikely to return. Nothing Mm -hmm. official. Um, which you don't need to do anything official, but yeah, that's uh, that's what I've been told. Jabroni also wishes your family a safe and happy holidays. Do you think DeForest Buckner is this year's team MVP? Jabroni, thank you, and uh, same to you and yours as well. Cole, I- I'm going to go Co. Co MVP. Him and Rivers. Okay. I just think quarterback means that much, um, and honestly, Buckner means a whole lot to that defense, as we've seen. But uh, I would say, with the definition as is, most valuable player. Not best, most valuable player. Cole MVP, you know, that can kind of be a cop out. You know, uh, am I, you know, am I my wife Maddie coaching the fourth grade volleyball team? And everyone's <laughs> got to get an award. Yeah. You know, no, I, I'm not going there. I think Cole MVP in this situation is pretty deserved. Yeah. 
All right, I don't believe this is the beans from Even Stevens, but we do have a question from Beans. <laughs> what is more likely, the Colts move on from Brissett or Brissett moves on from the Colts? Brissett moves on from the Colts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I think we go back to the Ursay comment, Chris, about, you know, he could see this running back with these two. So, yeah, I think it's Jacoby Brissett saying, I entered the NFL as a third-round pick. I want to be a starter. And New England never granted him that opportunity on a long-term basis, and Indianapolis really never granted him it either, I think. Well, you know, some might argue he Mm -hmm. showed that he wasn't a starter, but, yeah, I'd say Brissett moving on. All right, a few more here. This one's an early Christmas present from Sonia, whose brother doesn't have Twitter, but she's going to ask a Twitter question on his behalf because he forced her to ask this question. (laughs) If the Bengals end up with the number two pick in the draft, what (laughs) are— We just thought that, 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 that might be the greatest tweet that we've had. This is family. <laughs> Folks, we are a family. Uh, that is uh, unity. That is love. That is brother, sister. I, Sonia, thank you. Thank you. If the Can bang- you imagine like her reaction to him? Like, no, I'm not sending some like, what stupid do you mean? tweet. Yeah. Who is, I don't even know who this guy right. is. Yeah. It's, it's someone K- I listen to. Just yeah. do it. K-Bowen, B-O-W-A-N, what is it again? 107, what? I love it. Tis the season. If the Bengals end up with the number two draft pick, what are the chances Ballard trades up big time for potential to get Fields? If yes, what would what would he have to give up? Bengals clearly don't need a quarterback, so they may be open to trading back. You know, when you get to mid December, Chris, you always have rooting interest. You know, mm-hmm. if you're going to compete to be a playoff team or you know compete to move up in the draft, and you know for the Colts, I think they've got multiple rooting interests. Obviously, the playoffs speak for themselves, but you want the Bengals to keep on losing you want the Chargers to keep on losing you want the Jets to somehow believe Sam Darnold is still the guy and, and, and keep on losing which would just be ludicrous like the Cowboys to pay Dak Prescott you want the Texans to keep on losing because that's the Dolphins pick and they've got two what like so you, you want all that to happen right. maybe the Falcons still believe Matt Ryan's got I don't know how many more years left in him uh, now trading up to two would just be in a just an, an absurd amount of picks I would say if you're coming from the 20s it would take a your own first, a future first, probably um, your own second, and I would say like next year's third or fourth, mm-hmm. maybe next year's third and fourth. I mean, it would um, it would be a juicy, juicy pass. I mean, you get into the top five. I mean, think back to how much the Colts got from going from three to six. Yeah, right. <laughs> the Jets trade up three spots and gave you two second rounders. Mm-hmm. Like, wow. So, you imagine trading up from 26 to 3 or something like that? Yeah. Kevin Eric wants to know, do you think the Titans will go 2-1 and one for the rest of the season? Um, Yeah, I do. That was a big win the Titans got last weekend because it was another divisional win. Yeah. Which helps them in that divisional that tiebreaker as well. Mm-hmm. You know, that was the one that, if you had to pick, lose the Jags or the Packers. Jags. But... <laughs> There's a reason why the Jags are the Jags and the Packers are the Packers. Yes. Well, two things that Indianapolis knows well, Colts football and racing. This one comes from Josh, who loves the podcast and would often come to Indy to race sprint cars. Um, He's a fan from New Mexico. Awesome. Says it's tough to find uh, in-depth Colt coverage on a national level, so he appreciates the pod. And his question is, outside of Rivers and Buckner, what injury would most devastate the team's chances in January? Every time Rhodes appears to be injured, I panic for what that might mean in the pass coverage. I could see the O-line injuries being the answer as well. What are your thoughts? 
So outside of uh, Buckner and Rivers? Yes. So first off, Josh, thanks for listening. Um, I want to go to New Mexico. I want to see the pit where the Lobos play. That's what I want to do. would be awesome. Yeah. Um, Costanzo? Yeah. Rhodes? Probably Costanzo, Rhodes, Hilton? Costanzo, Hilton, Rhodes? I mean, I'm very high on what T.Y. Hilton means to this football team. You know, you guys heard me say that even earlier this year when he was out and he wasn't really producing a whole lot. I'm pretty sure the Colts lost that game. So, yeah, Costanzo would still be one. But, yeah, I, every time Rhodes goes down, I'm just – I think I said this earlier. Than he's like the Lance Stevenson. How many times would Lance go down and then be like, the crowd – once the crowd gets loud enough, I'll get up. Yeah. You know, I feel like Lance – that was Lance, you know. Uh, play my music before I get up. So, uh, yeah, that's – that's a good question, though. I'd say uh, Costanzo, Hilton, Rose would be my order. Yeah, I think based on the uh, the gasp and those kind of thoughts from from the Colts faithful, Rhodes will will more than likely be back here next year. Yeah, that, uh, that is a good point. That is, and boy, that is just a tremendous signing by Chris Ballard. Mm-hmm. One I was a bit skeptical of and, and curious of and thought there should be more competition at corner, which I guess is a different debate, but um, kicking the tires on first-round picks. Yep. Always do it. All right, the last one for this week's podcast is from Matt. It says, hey, KB, appreciate the content as always. Happy holidays to you and your family. Thank you, Matt. You as well. With three weeks left, are you ready to give executive of the year to Ballard again with the drafting and signees respectively of Pittman, Jonathan Taylor, Blackman, Rivers, Buckner, Rhodes, Carey, etc.? It seems like he's a lock with the other, a lock with the other top teams like the Chiefs and the Packers largely staying the same. Yeah, Matt, um... I'll be honest, I've always kind of been confused about Executive of the Year. Is it like straight up like what you just did in the previous offseason or how much of it is like this is the roster you've built over time and mm-hmm. now they're like starting to win? Right. Um, you know, it's – but I think he's very much in that conversation. I mean, the Browns, I thought, had some nice offseason moves. I don't know, the Bills maybe. I, but when you lay it out like that, I mean, certainly Rivers, I mean – and 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 Buckner just those two alone and you know that's not to mention like you said what what Rhodes has given you so yeah I I can't say I think about executive of the year a whole lot or like look at many big lists with it but you got to think if the Colts win the division he'd be in the conversation now I think if they don't win the division it probably will go to someone else mm-hmm. um, now that person might not have the same amount of moves that like Chris has had but again it might be over time like oh here are the Steelers Let's give it to them because they've drafted receivers well for 37 straight years, and their defense is, you know, largely a homegrown talent. Plus, trading for Minka Fitzpatrick, you know, I know yeah. again that didn't happen this year, but you know how much of that is just overtime stuff. Um, I did want to sneak in this one from Sam. Okay, he mentioned that he was listening to Monday's pod, and when I answered the five Colts I would want to keep for the next five years, he was shocked I didn't mention Kenny Moore. Mm-hmm. Figured he'd be a lock. Full transparency, Sam. I just forgot. Uh, I forgot about Kenny Moore. I don't know. Maybe I talked about him so much, Chris, that he just, like, went out of my brain there for a second. And I looked back on that list. I had Nelson, Leonard, Buckner, Pittman, Braden Smith. Love Kenny Moore. Love him. Who am I taking off? People probably say Pittman. Now, I just think having a potentially a number one wideout means – it just means a little bit more. Yeah. And especially when I'm thinking I don't have quarterback. So I need to really make sure that, like, I have um, that stud wide out, potentially, 
obviously, to help out that that young quarterback. But yeah, again, Sam, I just I, I just totally forgot about Kenny Moore. Um, I would say <laughs> that uh, he should probably be on that list. And I mean, somebody can make the argument. Somebody might say. You know, I don't know. Take off Leonard. They'd rather have Kenny Moore than than Leonard. I, mm-hmm. Okay, um, I that's a that's a that's a debate we could have. Um, so yeah, I just want to make sure that I snuck that in. Yeah, and I agree with you there because Sam's a loyal listener. He actually DM'd me on Twitter as well and, and said the same thing. Oh, and, he was pissed then. And I was like, <laughs> no, he. W- I was just like, Sam. There's times, you know, I'm looking towards the next question of what's going to be asked on the pod. I'm trying to stir the pot by jokingly tell Kevin Jacob Eason just to get the the YouTube <laughs> comments up in a up in arms like. When you have to when you have to mention five quickly off the top of your head, it, it, it's difficult, and that is a testament to Chris Ballard again. So there's your executive of the year. Yeah, no, that is that is another good point. So thank you, Sam, for uh, for mentioning that. I wanted to slide that in. All right, Kevin. Three keys, something that we always do before every Colts game as they take on the Texans this Sunday at one o'clock at Lucas Oil Stadium. What are the three keys to pulling out this divisional one? Yeah, limit the magic, my number one key. I think Deshaun Watson can create some of that. The skill guys for the Texans stink, but Deshaun Watson, um, he does not stink. Um, you know, when you look back at that first meeting, Chris, you know, I've gone back and watched the, the first matchup. I mean, the first 17 points the Texans scored, they all were because of Deshaun Watson's legs. All of them. Like, if you... If you just got him to the ground on a couple of those third downs or the ball's incomplete, you know, you, you've built a multi-score lead. Um, like, Deshaun Watson and J.J. Watt can influence the game in a huge way. Mm-hmm. I, that's it on that whole entire Texans team. So, limit the magic. Key number two, tap into Hilton. You know, this is the same as it was two weeks ago. It, it, yes, the production that Hilton has given you is incredible um, here as of late, so you love that. But, again, guys can play off that. The attention has got to start to grow, especially against Houston, to where the Pittmans and the Burtons and the Alley Coxes and the Pascals of the world can make some plays. And the run game might have a you know a few less guys in the box as well. Uh, now, home games T.Y. Hilton against the Texans it hasn't been as insane as the road game T.Y. Hilton, but still, I mean, he's he is their daddy. Mm-hmm. And then lastly, Ry Jonathan Taylor. Yeah, you know, I go go back and, and watch uh, Sunday's meeting with the Raiders. The two plays that really stood out to me about Taylor, Chris, it wasn't the 62-yarder. Like, yes, 4-3 is in the open field. We know that. It was the blitz pickup mm-hmm. to get the 20-yarder to Michael Pittman, something he did not have to do a whole lot of Wisconsin. Incredible play there. And then the second, I think it was the second play of the game, it's a tackle for loss. I mean, it is yeah. right. I think it's Farrell. That was when Casanza was hurt. Like, Cleveland Farrell is right there. Sidestep, 10 or 12-yard gain. Mm-hmm. Like, those are plays where I'm just like, whoa. Uh, Taylor had one carry in that 40-minute stretch in the first matchup. That that will not happen yeah. on Sunday. I can assure you of that. So, you uh, need to ride him. He got going in the fourth quarter of that first meeting, um, but did not. And the Brandon Dunn injury, their D-tackle, I think will help out. So, um, I got the Colts covering. 30-20 is my pick. Uh, what do you got? I'm going to go 31-13. Ooh, so you got even more of a route. It, it probably won't be that wide of a margin. I'm hoping the Texans are, are cashing it in. I hope we can get that defensive pressure like you said. I'm sure you saw when you went back and rewatched that game from a couple weeks ago. The staggering statistic on when Watson gets sacked three times or more in a game, what his win and loss record is versus less than that. So... Really want to see a lot up front from from the Colts. And like you said, with the magic that that guy presents, 
it's going to be challenging, but hopefully the, the Texans are cashing it in for the season. Lastly, I didn't realize this. Frank Reich um, has only swept one South opponent in his time here in Indianapolis. Huh. Um, now, that's difficult, but you would think that it was something that um, they would have done um, a little bit more, but that's just kind of how the division has played out and you know, part of why ha- you haven't won a division. So um, you can do that on Sunday. Obviously, won't do it against Jacksonville in Week 17, but the ability to do that would go a long way in helping this team get into the postseason. All right, he's Chris Presley. Everybody, beers with Bowen tentatively um, for early January. We'll see how the playoff picture uh, shakes out, but if the Colts make it, we will have a beers with Bowen. Uh, again, probably in that first week there, that January 7th, 8th-ish mm-hmm. is kind of what we're targeting there um, for a beers with Bowen. And... Um, for those that haven't, please subscribe to our YouTube page, 107.5 The Fan on YouTube, um, where every podcast is posted. Yeah, appreciate that. And to the 10,000 people that will be at Lucas Oil Stadium this weekend, I know we've got, we had a drop in attendance. Get loud. It's a big game. Need you on your feet. Huge, huge one on Sunday at 1 o'clock. Uh, at Lucas Oil Stadium. We'll be back Monday uh, with another edition of Kevin's Corner. Colts-wise, we'll be back with the Pacers one later in the week. He's Chris Presley. I'm Kevin Bowen. See ya.